So the gospel is, is, is good news in a world so full of bad news. You know, the, the gospel is good news because it gives exactly what the world cannot. The world says it can, but it can't. It gives you and me through faith in Christ, you know, this true freedom, uh, a true rescue and a true hope and, and security and rest. It, it is true salvation in the fullest sense of the term for you and I. You know, the gospel says that Christ, the, the holy, almighty one, Christ came to fight for you and me when we were fighting against him. Christ came to give us honor when we gave him dishonor. Christ came to give us purpose when we were defilently living with no purpose. He came to give us hope as we were running towards hopelessness. He came out of love for sinners when we had no love for him. And that love was fully expressed upon the cross. He he died for you and me so that you and I did not have to face the eternal wrath that we deserved because of our sins. Christ stood in our place as the liar, as the adulterer, as the sexually perverse, as the racist, as the selfish and the self-righteous. As the abuser, as the addict, as the failure, as the fool, as the envious, as the swindler, as the twisted, as the most wicked thing that you and I could imagine. Christ came as the only innocent one who never sinned in his life to offer himself as the sacrifice on our behalf. So that you and I can be treated as sons and daughters of the Most High. That's good news. He was treated as a sinner upon the cross, though he had no sin. He was punished for you and me so we can experience the love and the blessings of God in our life that we did not and do not deserve all through faith in him. This gospel is good news. He came to live the life that we couldn't live, a perfect life in our place, so that we could be declared righteous by faith alone in him. For by his resurrection, he is now alive in his physical body that you you will touch one day. That will never taste death again to give us forgiveness and eternal life to anyone who calls upon his name. The gospel declares that all is done in Jesus. See, Christianity is not this ladder where we have to go prove ourselves to God and, and climb up to him. Christianity is really and dumbfoundingly about how God is proving himself to us by revealing how gracious and loving he is towards us sinners through Christ coming down the ladder to pick us up and carry us up to the Father. Not by what we do, but by simply what has been done for us by trusting in Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit. And here's the thing, which we so easily forget, and the world wants us to keep forgetting, we forget that by faith alone in Jesus, through what he did upon the cross, then there was a radical change that happened to us that broke us free from this world. What Jesus did up there, something happened. 
Something happened to us when we placed our faith in him that liberated us from the power of sin and the power of death. Something happened to our hearts and our minds and our life, really. The world was going one direction, the direction of destruction and doom and hopelessness and death. But Christ came running after us. He pulled us out of the world through faith in him. He made us a new creation and set us on this path that's opposite of the world. This path that only is restoration and forgiveness and hope and life. For we are now alive in Jesus Christ by faith alone. And the book of Ephesians, Paul has been reminding the Ephesian church or churches of the new creation that they are now. The good news. That now they have true life. So in one sense, Paul has been saying over and over and over and over again, be what you are. Live from the truth that you are now officially free children of God who are loved and adored by him eternally. Paul then has been revealing that in chapter 5, be what you are or live from the truth that Christ has done it all by faith in him. He's been revealing what that looks like in our life. And he's slowly getting more and more and more personal. He is, he is prying open those doors that we keep shut. Because remember here, Christ's blood covers your whole life. Not part of it, all of it. So Paul is showing us how your whole life has been and is affected by the gospel message of the grace of God. So our title today is Living by Light. And for the context... As we look at the text today of chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, Paul has been using this darkness and light imagery to describe the radical difference now between believers and non-believers. Light represents the gospel and all who place their faith in it, or Christ. And darkness represents sin and all who are still under its power. So let's look at the text. Verse 11, Paul says, Take no part in the un." Fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, I want to point out something here that I find so encouraging, that I would find encouraging really for all of us, or at least encouraging for me as a wretched sinner. You know, I'm a pastor, but guess what? I still struggle with sins like fear, worry, jealousy, pride, envy, and the list can go on and on. Hang out with me long enough, and trust me, you'll start pointing out things that I don't even realize. But this brings us to our first point. Living by light gives us hope. What Paul reveals here in this passage, or in that verse that we just read, what he reveals to these believers who are called the beloved of God, called his children, called his saints, he reveals to them and reveals to us that they were taking part in the works of darkness. And yet they're still God's children. Even though they were not being faithful to him. Even though they were taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness. God's gift to them through faith in Christ for them to be light of having his favor, having his blessing, having his forgiveness, his peace, his love, and his care over them, over their whole life 
was not affected by their imperfect performance before him. Now you might ask, well, how can we be so sure that they were really taking part with the works of darkness, Jonathan? How do we know they really were still believers who had all the blessings upon them? Well, just look at the text. Paul tells them what they should be doing instead, now that they are believers. He says, rather than taking part with works of darkness, that they should expose them. Why does that matter? Who cares? Can we move on? Well, church, this is great news for us sinners through faith in Christ. It means, truly, we have hope despite our sins and inconsistencies and struggles and issues. It means that when you read the word of God and you see how you do not measure up to God's law of perfection, there is still hope for you and I. It means that when you fall flat on your face because of your sin and you blew it, even though you said you would never do it again, but find yourself right back in that same place and you hate it, there's still true hope for you and me. It means that when you are failing to sacrificially love your kids or love your spouse or those around you as much as you should, and rather you say or do stupid things that keep you away from doing that and you're trying to fight it over and over again so you won't do those stupid things or be selfish, but you keep giving into it even though you hate it, there's still hope for you and me. It means that when you try to care about your neighbor, but just can't seem to draw up the motivation to really care about their souls on their way to hell because you live in fear of rejection that might come from when you give them the gospel, it means there's still hope for you and me. It means that when you look at your life and say, God will get me through this, but deep down you're angry with him because your life right now stinks and you're doubting his goodness towards you and his family, but you know you shouldn't, but that disgruntled emotion of doubt is still there, it means there's still hope for you and me. It means when you should be giving to the Lord a little bit more of your time, a little bit more of your money, but don't because life is just too busy or times are just too scary, so you just don't want to trust him with those things, there's still hope for you and me. It means when you would rather put your trust in worldly comforts rather than the comfort of the Lord's love and grace and care and favor over you and keep doubting that he's always working things for your good. You're like, no, it can't be. There's still hope for you and me. It means that there is hope for sinners such as you and I. That Jesus truly has paid it all and, that has, and has done it all. And we have been fully brought into his family of love and care so we can be at rest and peace in, in our life even though we are failing him so much. He will not and does not fail us. Jesus truly has conquered the power of sin and death over our life. 
And this passage shows we are truly free in Him by faith alone in what He has done for us rather than what we do for Him. The gospel's good news. And because of this gospel, truth over us, this is why this passage can be so impactful to you and I in how we live today. See, Paul says in verse 11, because you are a child of God now, you can begin this process of letting go and turning, letting go of our sins and turning more and more to Him from our sins by looking simply to Christ. Why? Because you don't need sin now in your life with whatever it is. In your life, you don't need it for anything because it is unfruitful, it is worthless, it is empty, and it amounts to nothing for you and me. For we have the best already, and that never is leaving us. And the best is Christ. And he's trying to get us to realize that so we can rest in Christ more and more rather than in everything else. Paul is bluntly stating that sin will not produce any good fruit in our life that will bring joy or peace or rescue or validation or security or hope or anything good that we're looking for or needing in that moment or in the future for ourselves or others. But rather, we have all that we need right now in Jesus. For you have all you need in Christ And we'll always have what you need by faith in Him alone. Because this gospel is good news. And this good news, which we have, has not and will never change over you and I. No matter our inconsistencies and and failures before God, it's not going to change. For we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And you and I now have a promise that Christ will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We have the gospel truth that his love will never abandon us, even if we do not love him as much as we should. Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. How good are we at that? I'm not that good. Praise God his love is not based on that. His gracious blessings will never leave us, for they were not acquired by us or maintained by us, but rather they have been attained and maintained for us by Christ through faith in Him alone. And He is always there giving more and more and more of His grace. We just receive it all through faith in Jesus. So we are to live more by faith every day. But that's the struggle, right? That's the battle. We sin because we think we need sin to prosper in this world. We fall into pride or anger or harshness because we feel like we we need to be making a difference. Or Or we need to feel important. We need to feel that we matter. Rather than finding our stability, our validation in what Christ has done for us, so then we can just speak the truth gracefully to those around us. And not so harshly or bitterly. We give in to lust because we're not getting the love and intention we think we need in those moments to satisfy our hearts and minds. 
rather than letting the love of God over us be sufficient to calm our hearts and minds to see how his grace is enough. We explode into rage towards our leaders because things are not going the way we want them to go rather than going to God in prayer in those moments to give us godly wisdom and to give us an eternal perspective of his sovereign hand over our lives and over this world. So the question becomes then, how are we to turn away then from taking part with the unfruitful works of darkness in our lives now as Christians then? How are we to weed that out? How are we to turn from our sins? How are we to begin to see the freedom we have in Christ and how sin's power has been removed so we can live as free people and not in bondage? Paul gives us the answer at the end of verse 11 through verse 12. He states, But instead expose them, for it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. And this brings us to our second point. Living by light unmasks sin. He says here, reveal the sins in your life for what they are. Expose them. Take take the time to see how truly worthless and directionalist and fruitless and harmful the sins in your life really are. Don't just ignore them. Don't just give in to them. Don't just say, well, that's just the way it is. But rather expose them right there in the moment or even before you face them and you know you're going to face it. Now, real quick, it's important to note what the them in this passage means. Paul is not speaking of a person, but of works of darkness that we do in our life. Sin, he's speaking of sin. Our battle is not with people. Though many times it feels like it, it's not. But we are to confront the sin in our life and others. So you could put it this way. Paul is here saying on a very practical level that we are not to compromise with the sins in our life or compromise with the sins that we see in the lives of others in thinking that it's all okay, it's normal, it's it's just human nature. That's just the way we are. Since we are now light of the Lord, there is no neutrality with darkness or sin with us. Light and darkness, there's no, it just pushed, light pushes the darkness out. Now, Paul is not saying to go out and Bible bash yourself or others either. That's not the goal or the point of this passage. The goal, if I can put it, if I can put it in these terms... The goal is for you to see the insanity of sin in your life and others. To expose its lunacy so that you can see how completely pointless it is to give into it because you have Jesus Christ who is everything now for you. Which is why Paul says in verse 12, for it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. And by the way, I'm going to be honest here. From this point down to verse 14, this passage becomes a little complicated in regards to the specifics, but we still can get the principles of the passage and apply them to our lives. So basically, what Paul is getting at here in verse 12 is that through exposing our sin or or, or exposing our sins or sin in general, we begin to see the utter depths of wretchedness that Christ 
had to come down and save you and I from. To see how low, not like limbo style, how low can you go? How low he had to go for you and me to get us out of the pit of destruction, of doom, and of death. Or more directly, as you expose sin, you get to, you get, you get to see or begin to see the logical conclusion of where sin takes you. It may start small, but ultimately it leads to mass harm or perversion behind closed doors. There's an old saying that, that, that states this concept well. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. When you expose anything with the light of the Lord, you begin to see things as God sees things. Or really, you see them from his perspective. And in regards to sin in verse 12, being being shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret, Paul here is not really saying you can't mention these sins that are done in secret. But we are to avoid sins as much as possible, because sin, whatever it is, all sin is associated with things that go on in the dark that are shameful or awkward to even mention at some point. And therefore, sin of all types should be avoided at all costs in our life, for we are not partners of darkness, but we are partners with the light of the Lord. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The lust of the heart in looking upon adult content. Though it seems small, just a glance, just for a moment, sadly it is not small. For not only does that stuff mess with your mind and the relationships around you, but taking part with that adult content Realize that that adult content, that that atmosphere, promotes trafficking and slavery of people of all ages in that industry. It ruins people's lives to make them live in bondage and fear. So Paul here in verse 12, for example, is saying, Christians, why would you ever want to be associated at all or take part in that unfruitful work of darkness at all? Why would you want to find pointless comfort, vain comfort in that stuff even for a moment rather than the Lord? For it breeds such shameful practices that even the world at some point has to hide or do behind the scenes because it's so disgusting. You are a God's free, loved child who he sent his son to die for. God will give you more than you will ever need and has already done so. You just have to realize it by faith. I mean, it says in Romans 8.23... He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You think that's a lie? That's a promise. So on this theme then of exposing sin and encouraging us not to take part in it at all, not to even be associated with it, 
He gives us another light metaphor in verses 13 through 14 to press this concept even more and develop it for us. He says, But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, I admit, that language isn't strange. Okay? It's a little Yoda-ish. But again, I think the basic idea does come through if we look at it as a whole. So if we go back to who the light is, where is the source of light come from? It's Christ and his gospel of grace. Ephesians 5.8 says, we are light in the Lord. So Christ is the source of our light, not of ourselves, but, but simply Christ. So when Christ comes into the picture in regards to anything, whether through the gospel or really through the Bible, His word reveals, it gives the true perspective of of what things are, the way things are. And in this case, his word reveals sin for what it is. Sin cannot hide when Christ shows up. For his light exposes all things and everything about sin. So then, sin becomes visible to us as believers. And the sin which once led to our doom now, in some sense, leads to our hope. And you're like, wait, wait, what? I know it seems weird to put it that way, but go with me. For now, since we, right, he's talking about believers here, since we have faith in Christ and we go to him to have him light the world around us, His light reveals the truth that sin is not the way, but Christ is the way. Sin, by Christ's light alone, is revealed then as a marker or a beacon of death that says, don't come here. There is only destruction. Through Christ's light, we can see the death that sin leads to. And how great our Savior is compared to it. And how truly He can provide for us. And how sin can't provide anything. That's what the light exposes. For as believers, we see the sins now as what Christ has come to die for. And what He now has given us in place of them. He has given us hope instead of doom. Love instead of hate selflessness instead of selfishness, humility rather than pride, peace rather than distress, freedom rather than slavery, and rest rather than burden and exhaustion. All things now work for our good in him, for it says, for, for those who love him, as it says in Romans eight twenty eight, everything, even the very sins that he exposes in our lives, and others' lives now have, have a function of working for our good in him in some sense. Of Wow, what a great Savior he is. Wow, how he can truly provide more than this. Let the light... Well, let me put it this way. So in a very practical application, this whole idea then of exposing darkness through light, means that we are to, by faith in Christ, build a biblical worldview of all things. What does that mean? 
we are to let the light of Scripture dictate who we are, how we live, how we interact with people and things. Let the light of Scripture guide how or where we work, what we invest our time in, what we invest our resources in, how we are to let the light of Scripture decide how we raise our kids, who we should marry, how we love people, how we deal with the social or political issues of the day. I mean, the list can go on and on. The Scripture is there to expose and show how we're called to live. Psalm 119.05 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We are to see the world through the lens of Scripture. No matter how big, small, insignificant, or important we may think it is, everything and everyone is to be seen through the light of Christ, which comes from His word, which all ultimately points to His gospel message of grace. Which is why... Personal, prayerful Bible reading, going to Bible studies throughout the week, gathering on Sundays for worship service is so important. For as we go to his word, we begin to see more and more how Christ has conquered this world through the cross and has done everything for us by faith alone in him. So we can just rest in his finished works, which consequently will produce the fruit of light in our lives, such as goodness, righteousness and truth. Paul here then says at the end of Ephesians, in verse 14 at least, Therefore awake. Uh, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that brings us to our last point. Living by light gives us courage. And honestly, I, this, is, this is another tough passage. But again, if we look at the whole thing, I think we can get the basic idea. Now, now you might ask, well, where does Paul quote this from? Not really known. Is he quoting something word for word? Is he generalizing? It's kind of hard to tell, but if you want to look it up, it seems to have uh, heavy influence or inspiration from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1, which says, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. But here's the basic idea. Paul is stating this great encouragement for you and me to live boldly by faith in Christ. Paul is saying, don't be so timid in your faith and timid in trusting Christ for all things. Christ's blessing and favor is with you and he will shine through you as you have faith in him. Paul is saying, stop working and exhausting yourself to death and thinking that you have to live this life on your own and figure it all out on your own. This world is not upon your shoulders anymore. It was placed upon Christ's shoulders for you. Keep your eyes upon him. Depend upon him to, to have your life give to glorify him. Give to him or go to him by faith and hear him through his word. Stop relying upon your own power to do anything or change anything about yourself or anyone around you in regards to sin. For if you do, you might as well be sleeping for it will accomplish nothing. So awake to the power of Christ and watch his work Watch his power through you while you're relying upon him through faith alone. Stop focusing so much on your own life. Stop trying to control things and the outcomes. For by focusing on yourself, you might as well be dead. For that will amount to nothing. But if you focus on Christ's life and what he has done for you by faith in him, your life 
will become full of purpose and meaning. And all that happens will have lasting, beneficial, eternal outcomes for you and for those around you. For life sprouts forth from you because of Christ's life, which will shine through you. Go to Him to strengthen you to get through your trials and your temptations. Go to Him to supply your needs through your hardships and woes. Wake up from your slumber. Admit you cannot do it on your own, but He can and He did. Know that all has been done in Christ by simply trusting in Him. So let this light expose everything around you so you can rely upon Him for everything, so you can rest in His finished works. Christ says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let us go to him by prayer. As the deacons come forward, you can pray with them or come up here to pray or pray from your seat. Father, we come to you today, Lord, to help us have you expose your light into our life. Help us, Lord, to see the sins that we've been clinging on to. Help us to leave them and to flee from them and to run from them and to run to you. Help us, Lord, to see how you have not abandoned us, how you have not forsaken us, but you've been there the whole time. Help us, Lord, to trust you more every day. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you here today, Lord, I pray that they come to see your light to see how you have come to die for their sins, that they could have eternal life and they can just trust in you. God, I pray for all of us that we all can just be people of light wherever we go and to realize that your light will shine through simply by faith in you, even through our failures and inconsistencies. God, You said the gates of hell won't stop your gospel. And that includes even our stupidity. God, you are so good. And lives will be changed. Help us to see that and live by that promise. And let us be vessels who bring your truth and your freedom to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.